This and every episode of Wrecked Podcast is brought to you by Beeksy Exchange, an upcoming cryptocurrency exchange built in collaboration with One Market Data. Beeksy is bringing legacy finance speed, power, and sophistication to crypto for the first time. With 225,000 transactions per second per pair, comparable to NASDAQ, 15 order types on day one, with 25 order types on full rollout, and a dedicated customer support team, Beeksy is setting itself apart from the competition. Check out Beeksy today at Beeksy.com and pre-register today at Beeksy.com slash registration to get your free Beeksy exchange tokens. That's Beeksy.com, B-E-A-X-Y dot com. I'm Nick Cote and this is Wrecked. Hello and welcome to Wrecked Podcast. I am Bunchu alongside my esteemed colleague and co-host, Chamber. Chamber, how are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. It's Monday. Worst day of the week's over with. We got, you know, we're doing a show. I'm feeling, uh, feeling pretty good. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. I saved this story for you. I didn't tell you a pre-show. We've been on, uh, and we've been on for a while too. You've been keeping this holstered. Uh, yeah, so I'm traveling for business, as I am one to do every single fucking week. And uh, so I packed my car, and I had dry cleaning that I was putting in the car. And I said to my fiance, hey, could you carry my dry cleaning out? And she said, yeah. And so she puts it in my car. I drive six hours to my location, only to get here and realize I don't have any of my shirts. And <laughs> since I did not put them in the car, I did not check. And so I had to make an emergency Macy's run and buy some shirts. And then I realized I don't know how to fucking buy a shirt. <laughs> I don't know what size my neck is. I don't know what size like my a, sleeves like a are. 16 and a half? Uh, oh, my. I, I, am, I, I bought a 16 and a half. That's Bloody correct. See, look at me. <laughs> anyway, but that, that's my life today. But we have an awesome guest on with us today. Very knowledgeable trader, Nick Cote. How are you, man? Hey, man. Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it is 8 o'clock p.m. for us. What time is it for you where you are and where where around the world are you? I'm from the future in relative terms, 7.18 a.m. on a Tuesday morning here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. So the worst day of the week is definitely over for you. So <laughs> for, that's for me, awesome. For me, Mondays are the best days of the week. People are off from the weekend and they're ready to get rolling again for a new week. That's awesome. Yeah, especially for trading. So um, that's awesome. We are excited to have you. Uh, you were mentioning a little bit before the show that, you know, we were talking about your nationality. As Chamber pointed out, you may have been Canadian. And uh, you said, I, I liked, I don't like nationalities. Uh, so I, and I said, Bitcoin is borderless. So why shouldn't we be? And I think that's a good way to start. So <laughs> international man of Bitcoin is is what you are. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's Bitcoin, something you can take anywhere and uh, not have to worry about exchanging into local currencies or carrying currencies with you. It's just the optimal method of payment worldwide. Absolutely. And I think this is a good place to start. You also mentioned you've been living exclusively off of Bitcoin for the last six years. So let's start here. Let's talk about a little bit about how you got into crypto and Bitcoin and um, how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'd say the first time I was just reading the right paper after I was uh, waiting for my I worked in the oil fields before, so the work came and go between the projects. And I just read the white paper, thought it was pretty interesting. And at that time, uh, it's probably late 2012, early 2013. And I originally just bought Bitcoin to buy Dogecoin. And because <laughs> I just, you know, what was this thing? It was it was cheap, right? So mm -hmm. one of the uh, phenomenons that we'd seen a lot in the run-up in 2017 was people were more interested in buying Litecoin, XRP, or whatever the 
whatever the coin was. It just couldn't be Bitcoin because there's there's no way I can afford one singular Bitcoin, right? So they just didn't understand that you could have just a fraction of a Bitcoin. So I was in that similar uh, mindset early on. I was like, well, Bitcoin's already at you know a few hundred bucks. Maybe I've missed the boat. But hey, here's Dogecoin. It's only at one or two cents, right? So I'm going to buy a coin and I'm going to buy some Dogecoin. And you know, I got I got in at the uh, first pump with one of the famous pumpers named Wolong. And uh, mm. yeah, that was, that was my big kickoff when I first had a pretty big win through that. And I realized, wow, I can make money online. So at that point, I decided to quit my work and just do crypto 24-7, 365. Thought I would give it 10 years of my life looking back on the path of the development for the internet and you know it's taken about 10 years for it to hit mainstream after its original development in early 70s and uh, you know we're almost 10 years in now and i think it's worked out pretty well you really are from the goddamn future aren't you (laughs) (laughs) you are you are a time traveler future teller with a crystal ball that's pretty cool um so so you were originally turned on by Dogecoin then. I, I, we've talked to a lot of people and it's, it sounds like, you know, there was two there was two pathways. It was Bitcoin or Dogecoin at that time. And you either got in for one way or another. So were you were you a trader beforehand? Uh, no, not really. I, I had no uh, trading background. I knew a little bit about how uh, money was created, debt slavery and all that stuff. So I was kind of libertarian a lot at the start of things. And slowly, you know, screw the banks, screw the institutions. We can do this ourselves. We'll burn them all to the ground. Was that and, after you watched Zeitgeist? Oh yeah, I watched them all. Mend them, all that good stuff, right? <laughs> the four, the four horsemen. Actually, the four That's horsemen right. is a really great documentary. It is. Pre- I've seen that one too. Yeah, precursors Bitcoin. Uh, you know, people will know Max Kaiser from that. But a lot of the issues that they were talking about, they were all like hinting around what the solution could be. This democratic, you know, out of the control of central bank currency. And sure enough, you know, a few years later from the publishing date of that documentary, uh, Bitcoin uh, came out and stuff. So, yeah, I would say originally I was pretty libertarian, but as I've you know developed myself and my contacts in the space and seen the space develop, I've come more to uh, get, just be okay with the regulations and because that allows for the institutional money to enter the market. I think we've seen, you know, prior to a lot of the regulations getting enforced through the SEC, et cetera, and the other channels, a lot of scams, uh, a lot of sh- shady behavior. And uh, having regulations in place, it, it protects a lot of people and the retail investors. Because I think as we've shown, <laughs> with people getting blown out as they did in uh, all the bubble runs, uh, people need those protections because a lot of the time they just don't do the critical thinking or research for themselves and they're uh, very easily influenced. That's a fact. That's okay, Chamber. I'll protect you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back for a minute because you said it in passing really quick, but there's probably so many people that have no idea who or what a Wolong is. Can you explain uh, for those who may have gotten in a little later, um, you know, who that is and kind of what the legend is? Yeah, so like Wolong was this mysterious figure. At the time, you got to understand like the market cap of Bitcoin and all these altcoins is very small. So the amount of capital needed to move those markets around and you know, extravagant terms of percentage wise was very small. So it was he was a ringleader of a coordinated uh, pump and dump group, essentially. And, uh, you know, they pumped a lot of a lot of coins, black coin, Dogecoin. Honestly, too many to remember. It, it used to be so easy back in 2013, 2014. Every Sunday, there would be a pump on MintPal, which was uh, one of the exchanges famously run by, well, eventually, MintPal 2 by the Moolah team. Ryan Kennedy, he eventually got taken down on unrelated sex charges, I believe. Oh, but, my. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's just, again, one of the examples of the bad actors that can flourish when there's no lights put on you, right? In terms of regulations and oversight and things. But yeah, so this guy just ran a pump group. I was pretty well coordinated. He had a mythology. I believe the doc, like the document called like God Doc or, or something, is still out there, and it basically just describes, uh, you know, how market manipulation takes place. And you know, they'll just put up giant buy walls. It gets people excited. Oh, there's so much demand for this market, so they try and front run those orders. You know, and then sure enough, since the spreads are very wide on the ass side because they already control a large majority of the supply, so they create the large spreads on the asks. The FOMO kicks in. The price just starts to skyrocket, 
and boom, sure enough, when you think you're about to make some coin, all the bids are pulled and the market makers are then dumping on you. And, you know, this was the 101 mythology uh, of that group. And there were a lot of those groups over those over those years, right? Just, again, flourishing in the no regular, new regulatory environment was uh, the name of the game. So, And at those prices, it's also a lot easier to make Bitcoin, right? Well, and lose it as well. There's plenty of stories of people losing everything under 300 bucks. So how did you get your first Bitcoin? Uh, I originally purchased it through an old ex- Canadian exchange of all places called uh, Vault of Satoshi. Originally, I was trying to purchase through Mt. Gox, but it was very difficult to use money transfer services. There was like money online, money transfer. Uh, it took weeks to move stuff in there. And luckily, uh, I did not go through there because, you know, the Goxing event shortly shortly after that and i believe Volta satoshi the company uh the people behind it they pivoted to become like a netflix vpn service so you know yeah they chose a smart pivot (laughs) (laughs) they chose pretty poorly in that sense (laughs) but um the canadian market was very small at the time and still relatively yeah canadian netflix is still shit too by the way (laughs) i I hear that you you know and vpns are a great thing to have for netflix when you're traveling anyways now um, no, but yeah, shout out to uh, Netflix Canada. Their Twitter account is fire, and you have gotten better over the last years. Oh, in case Netflix Canada is listening. Honestly, one of the funniest, are. one of the funniest uh, follows on Twitter. Not even joking. <laughs> I don't know who uh, runs that one, but it is fire. <laughs> my, my favorite is the. Speaking of movies, my favorite, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I don't even know if they still tweet. Is the like the blockbuster, the fake blockbuster account? Oh, like the one from Alaska? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's not an actual blockbuster oh. account. I'll have to find it and post it. But it's pretty funny. But anyway, um, all right, cool. So how then, if you didn't have much trading experience, where where did that kind of pivot come from where you went okay now i need to learn how to trade and kind of become almost a a full-time trader at that point yeah so i'd say at that point once i had the original interest i was just looking for like-minded people right so i was just you know going through bitcoin talk forums reddit when you know there's not many people on there uh twitter you know there's there's some luck there that's when i started to grow my uh following but the the big win for me was discovering the uh the whale club hangouts that originally were streaming on uh google uh google here it was with btc vix flibber uh, a bunch of other og people who unfortunately you know didn't make the cut and mm-hmm. that eventually uh branched off into the telegram groups and uh, the team speak groups and at that time, the community was probably, you know, less than a million people. So it was very tight knit and uh, everyone just wanted to, you know, talk about it 24 uh, seven and keep an eye on the market movements. So I just surrounded myself with people who were smarter and more informed than me. And, uh, you know, I shut up and listened for a while and under- originally just started with horizontal lines. I didn't understand uh why i was using those other than this is support and resistance obviously you know now i understand it's all just about that's where you know liquidity pools in one area and develops an order block and that's what is actually horizontal resistance and uh support but at the time i was just drawing lines there was not no, no advanced uh, techniques or anything to it i didn't even have trading view open and it was just kind of going back you know shooting the shit with people back and forth on team speak and then through that, you know, people, uh, it's like a circular revolving door of personalities. So you got a pretty good diverse set of uh, people coming in there who are willing to share their knowledge and point you to different resources, help develop those resources. I'd say early on, like the community was a lot more inclusive as well, in the sense that you would have a lot of like the exchange owners, anyone who was building anything, they wanted your feedback, right? I think we all had the understanding like, well, this could be something big. And uh, if, if we should work with these people early on so we can help influence uh, the design of these exchanges. And, uh, you know, Phil Potter was on there a lot on TeamSpeak in the early days. And, uh, you know, it was just good to shoot the shit with them and get more of an institutional perspective because they had the, you know, 20 plus years of experience in the legacy side. So they brought a lot of uh, knowledge to the crypto space. That was really valuable. So what are some resources that you would recommend for somebody that's new to Bitcoin or trading or just starting out? Where would you recommend them to go? Yeah, I guess if you're just looking for you know Bitcoin information on a technical level, uh, 
Jameson Lop, I believe Lop.net has put together a really good uh, category of information there. I'm sure there'll be a link in the box there. From a trading uh, perspective, uh, I definitely recommend just doing due diligence with people on Twitter. Like I said, I think it's pretty well-rounded at this point. There's a lot of people who have proven that they have the ability to uh, trade at a high level. Uh, but the biggest thing I would say, again, is just being able to do your due diligence and make sure that the people that you're following or you're interacting with have this similar incentives as you. And they're not, they're not just paid shills looking to uh, sell you something, right? At that, at that point, the incentives aren't really aligned from a game theory point of view. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good resources out there on YouTube. I think there's a lot of good uh, resources out there with, for the podcasts. Uh, you know, shout out to Satoshi Moku. He's been putting out educational content for years, uh, so I definitely recommend people follow him. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good information out there on Telegram groups, but I find a lot of the time in the uh, the public chats, especially the larger ones, there's a lot of noise. People, you know. Everyone's just looking for the next coin, the next target, right? Sure. So, yeah, I think a lot of the time you're going to come into a group, you're going to identify, you know, who the people are that know what they're talking about, and maybe you're going to drop in their DMs or something and get put into smaller, uh, more focused groups and stuff. I think Discord, there's a lot of good groups out there as well. Uh, So it's been interesting to watch the evolution of the mediums of where people hang out and stuff, moving away just exclusively from uh, TeamSpeak. As I mentioned in yeah, the earlier days. For sure. So you um you mentioned obviously Twitter and Twitter has exploded with information and some good, some bad. Um and you know, you got people out there posting charts like yourself. What is it like to be on Twitter posting charts? Do, I mean how uh how is that as somebody who, you know, puts his stuff out there all the time, good, bad, ugly? How how do you deal with that? Yeah, like a lot of the time, I'm not looking necessarily to grow, just grow my following. I've never had an intention of turning into a monetized business or anything. I just wanted a place to keep myself honest, I guess. Because normally when you're sharing stuff publicly like that, uh, you're going to get criticized if you, you know, flip flop back and forth. It's similar to just, you know, having a public trading journal, right? And for me, mm-hmm. it's more so about just make, keeping myself in check and uh, it's a check and balance system and more so just proving that my perspective on the market and how I view things and how I'm thinking is correct. So it's not necessarily about, you know, I'm not always trading the charts that I'm posting, right? On a lot of these altcoins and stuff, kind of just appeasing what people want to see, right? But for, for Bitcoin and stuff, it's just, you know, mainly making sure that my uh, way of thinking and how I'm looking at the market is correct and just for me, I get more satisfaction out of being right than having a huge win or something like that, right? At this point where I'm at right now, you know, risk management's your number one thing. You see a lot of people posting, you know, these huge 100x wins, but what they don't post is the huge 100x losses. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> and those, def- those definitely come hand in hand, right? So are you going to be the guy who's, you know, really, really strict with their uh, risk management, their, their uh, money management. And generally, I've always said this over the years, I, I do less, well, even now, like less than 1% of my stack is put into trading accounts. Even less of that is put into each of these positions, right? And of course, like the amount of coin that you're in dollars that you're putting into each position in terms of a percent is relative to the amount you have. So it's going to be different for everyone. But I think, uh, you know, people try and get rich quick here. And I've, I've seen so many, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, they come in, they have a nice stack and, you know, no risk management and they're gone the next day, right? So it's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You hear that term a lot, but it's, it's completely true. And I think you see a lot of uh, professional poker players in this space because their uh, talent set with money money management and risk management just translates really, really well to cryptocurrency. So some of the most successful traders I know used to be professional poker players until they got squeezed out of that market. Uh, because a lot of you know our, our AI and machine learning and just the automation that uh, is taken up in that in the poker space, there's not yeah. enough uh, liquidity to really squeeze. That's super interesting. Um, do you get a lot of trolls? Yeah, uh, you know the XRP army is out there strong. 
uh, the, the, Bitcoin, <laughs> the Bitcoin Cash, Craig White believers are out there strong. Uh, Ooh, it, do, do you guys not get the feeling that that that, that song's almost done? You know? he, oh yeah, uh, that... oh yeah. I've been raising the alarm on that guy for a while, but you know their strategy is to create a lot of noise and distract people. The real play with uh, Craig White and that crew and Enchain and Entrust, yeah, you know, all this information is it's crazy. It's like people again just really suck at doing due diligence and research. A lot of like their <laughs> their play is out there. Like their play isn't Bitcoin fucking SV, right? Excuse my language, but pretty no, pretty you're good on here. <laughs> <laughs> pretty passionate about that. It's they're they're after the patents, right? And you can again, you can go out there and Google uh, this information and see that's been their game the entire time. Uh, they just wanted to devise, uh, they wanted to make it look like this guy was Satoshi. They would then use the the clout and the identity of that guy to validate the IP rights to these patents and then sell those patents for billions of dollars later on. Because if you actually look at the patent listings, like there's there's thousands, right, at this point. And of course, Craig White's not the only company to have patents. There's Coinbase, Fidelity Investments, Blockstream as well. But, you know, they, he's patented some interesting stuff, even just peer-to-peer transactions using, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Even just the technology behind DEXs, right? Like very uh, fundamental uh, infrastructure stuff that you wouldn't think that one person can patent. He has. So it's very important that people remain vigilant and aware of uh, what he's doing through the courts because that's how he's looking to validate himself like just because you can sign a pair of keys that doesn't prove your identity right like i could i could give you my keys you could blackmail me for my keys etc and then you know just sign that uh sign using those keys that doesn't necessarily prove that's that's me right and I think that's the case that we're going to be seeing from uh, Craig White as he goes through these legal channels. So you've seen a lot of like him trying to uh, falsify documents. You know, recently that email got withdrawn because uh, the dates didn't line up on the hash. And I thought it was crazy that the judge even allowed that. To be honest, like <laughs> you're just submitting fraudulent information and documents, and then it's just okay to uh, withdraw that just because he gets caught doing it. Uh, it's very interesting, but I That's definitely, interesting. yeah, I definitely think people need to stay super vigilant about that. So whatever the catalyst is, like you know, Peter McCormick uh, from the uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast, or not? not yeah, what podcast. Bitcoin did? Yeah, that's right. That podcast. He's he's you know taking up the uh, the charge on that. So you've seen a lot more interest into what's going on over there. And recently, obviously, the exchanges with the D-list uh, SV movement. I think it's nice. It's novel. But unless we have uh, full cooperation of all the exchanges, you know, liquidity will migrate, so they'll still have a place to live. But you know, it is a big hit not having Binance. The, you know, they got 40% of the market share in terms of volume, and uh, you know, not being on Binance is definitely a hit to any project. So, and, uh, you know. did Kraken not remove them as well? Yeah, Kraken removed them. A whole uh, bunch of places. Yeah, Shapeshift as well. But unfortunately, the guys from OKX over there—they've created Bitcoin SV Float. I believe they're launching another SV-centric uh, exchange, which is basically just like a reskin of OKCoin. So, you know, they basically—they're trying to hedge their bet, right? Right. Interesting. That's the whole issue is interesting. I think you make a really good point about the uh, the patent part of it. I was just watching. Um, you ever, do you guys watch Silicon Valley? Oh, I love that show. On HBO. Yeah, yeah, so I was just watching uh, some older ones from last season, actually, and there's the episode literally about the patent troll, and he buys these he bought the the like mexican song and he was suing artists and he sued the pied piper guys because he falls under this generic patent and just the whole idea of the patents um and what he's trying to do with those is very interesting so just made me think of that for sure there's there's Um, a lot of little schemes like that similar to like domain squatting right you wouldn't think it's a profitable business but some of these domains go for millions and millions of dollars uh, rectpodcast.com if we are open to offers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. So, yeah, that's, that's a great start. So, let's. Uh Let's talk. We've talked a little bit about trading and how you've gotten into it and stuff. We wouldn't be wrecked podcast if we didn't ask you if you have any crypto wrecked stories since you got started. Mm. Yeah, like uh, origi- originally early on, uh, I was trying to, you know, after I got the initial sense of what this was, I wanted to get more and more involved, right? 
So I think the next step was to get involved with projects, get involved with exchanges. Uh, I, I think I would probably say that I have two two good rec stories. The first one being most recently one broker. You know, this was a project, mm-hmm. and to talk more on the in- inclusivity of the uh, early on, like. I got to work with uh, the one broker team early on. Uh, I think it just started around like 2014. I just sent him a message on Facebook. You know, cool product. I like what you're doing. How can I help? And at that time, they had less than 50 people, right? And they were offering CFDs uh, using Bitcoin and stuff. And I think it's you know having access to other markets using this as- asset class is very important. I heard you know on one of Arthur Hayes' recent podcasts of Luke Martin, uh, he, they invested in a company that's doing something very similar. And anyways, so, you know, but one broker grew up, it had around 50,000 people, and then one day, you know, you go to log on the website, and the website seized by the SEC, the DOJ, right? That was wild. It was. It was a real, a real shot across the bow for the community. Uh, they were obviously in the wrong in the sense that they didn't collect a lot of KYC at all or have a KYC procedure in place. But this was normal practices, right? This, you know, mm-hmm. BitMEX, the same thing, you know, simple FX, uh, a lot of other services that didn't collect KYC, Shapeshift, for example. You saw once that shot across the bow with one broker happened, overnight, <laughs> all of a sudden, everyone started caring about compliance. They're hiring these compliance teams, starting their own KYC <laughs> checks. You know, so they took out the, around anymore. No, they don't. Like they took out the little guy. So you know, I always see. I heard this one term on this uh, betting on Bitcoin documentary on Netflix. One guy mm-hmm. says uh, the first guy through the door normally gets shot. And I think that's exactly what ha- that's exactly what happened to one broker, but it definitely served as a lesson for all these other larger exchanges and uh, services that you know the wild west of crypto is basically over, right? You need to comply or get shut down. So I th- yeah, it was it sucked. Like it offered a great platform. There was never any loss of user funds. There was never any complaints or anything. And it was a great service out there. And uh, yeah, it was like you know one. It was disheartening, really. Like you know, it was exciting to watch this business grow over the years. And at the time, they just wa- launched OneFox, which was a similar, you know, competitor to Bitmax. And their big, their big claim to fame was the social trading, right? Uh, similar to what eToro offers. So you, you know, you can follow top traders, and uh, right. you get a you get a percentage of the cut and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so that was that was disheartening. The other one, as I was involved with a project early on called Horizon which was an offshoot of the coin called NXT. And, you know, time, timing in business is everything, right? Like, you can have a great idea, but if there's no interest at the time, it, it dies, right? And, you know, NXT and Horizon at the time, uh, they had name identity, asset swaps, uh, ash, asset issuing. So, like, the concept of tokenization, it was a dream back then. So, like, imagine you have your own your own company, right? You're not, you're not able to raise an IPO yourself because, you know... You, you're a small startup or just a home business, but you have a really good idea. You have a really good business and you want to raise capital. So the idea of just being able to launch your asset and publicize that asset and get people, you know, individual investors to invest it through an issued asset, that's the idea of like, you know, tokenizing the world and stuff, making uh, things more accessible to people and being able to get good ideas out there. And, you know, the, the check and balance system is, is, are you going to invest in a shitty idea? Probably not, right? So that was the, the, the idea of that, and all that existed on Horizon Platform early on. So it, we thought it was a dead project. You know, we put together a decent team, had some uh, good marketing behind it, and unfortunately, you know, things were kicking off. Price was moving up a little bit. Development was moving forward. We had made our first product release, and then all of a sudden, the original owner comes back, the silver silver NXT guy, and he has a huge amount of the supply. So I wake up to just, you know, my phones are going crazy, alarms are going off, and this guy has market dumped, like, 10% of the supply oh, no. on Poloniacs. And, oh, you know, no. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that, was, that was a nightmare, you know, for anyone. So a lot of crisis management after that, trying to, eventually what we did, we, the solution was to buy this guy out. But, you know, it's not something you want to wake up to. Uh, you know, you've had 10% of your supply dumped and the market price is down, you know, 60% in one Ooh, glorious wow. one glorious candle, right? Holy cow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, I, I just saw uh, 
one of those flash crashes go on the other day. I don't remember what coin it was on, but I saw somebody uh, post a little video of the chart and like the five minute candle or something, and it went all the way down. I wonder, I think it was like WTC or something. Did any of you guys see that? Yeah, I didn't. Oh man, it just went this crazy wick down to like a one, single Satoshi one, yeah. from like fifty two hundred or something. Really? I'm trying to remember what the coin was, but you know, even Bitcoin early on has had flash crashes down to like one cent and stuff. Or, uh, I remember when I first got in. I remember when I first got in back in like uh, earliest to earliest two thousand seventeen, like Q two maybe, and there was like that Ethereum flash crash mm-hmm. to ten cents or something, and everybody was going insane. It was wild. Imagine picking up ten cent Ethereum because oh. of a flash crash. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's a good strategy. You know, it's it's an odd event to have happen but if you have some extra capital just sitting around you know throw in those stink bids you never know what's going to especially on the illiquid markets right yeah all it it takes is a fat finger a lot of these exchanges don't necessarily have protections in places in place to protect against that so you know maybe you'll get lucky you have that 4100 percent return in a couple minutes Chamber, go put uh, go put Marty, some one, one Satoshi beds. <laughs> Chamber, hey Chamber, what are you holding? Well, nothing particularly, but I do have three hundred and eighty uh, one Satoshi bids out on every coin. <laughs> Everybody's so, banking on Bitcoin. I'm banking on Flash Crash. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's so funny. You're gonna be Flash Crash Millionaire. That that's gonna be your Mexican wrestling name, Flash oh, Crash Millionaire. I like it. <laughs> um, all right, Nick, what do you see where we are? like what do you see in the market now like uh we obviously just had these big run-ups to you know around 5300 everything like that um where do you see bitcoin the bitcoin market now ethereum market now and crypto in general yeah i think well and i'll start off with the, the market space in general like i said i think we've really moved out of the wild west i think we've seen a huge uh surge of liquidity even in this you know bear market the volumes are still you know 10x of what they used to be just a couple years ago in terms so i think we're going through a lot of institutionalization right now i've said in previous talks that you know selling your coin here or you know at any time you're basically just selling to uh, institutions or governments and it's people right now really don't understand or value the scarcity of this asset class i work a lot in the otc space so you see a lot of you know big dick fucking fiat rollers coming in and they're always, they're always <laughs> big trying dick to get the fiat <laughs> rollers <laughs> yo that's uh chamber that's the hashtag 100%. of the episode big hashtag big dick fiat roller is the definitely the hashtag of the episode that's a but gem I, that's also I, a t-shirt yeah yeah like i just find they overvalue their position with their fiat currency right there's there's unlimited fiat the central banks are pretty brazen about saying you know we can print unlimited amounts of this stuff right but you know there's not unlimited amounts of bitcoin so in a, in a lot of the time in uh, commerce if you get if you're buying something in bulk you expect a discount right but that's just not the case with this asset class you're going to be paying a premium price and i think uh as demand continues to pick up and as you know institutional products such as lending especially and eventually an etf i'm pretty sure there's an etf that's going to come through it's just a matter of developing the proper uh, market transparency in the otc market and things uh, once that comes through where are they going to be getting that coin from right uh, well they're going to get it from the otc markets but there's only so much of that coin to go around so um i, I think just people are undervaluing the scarcity uh, i think people are undervaluing what privacy means and you know once the war on cash is complete people are going to have the harsh realization that wow i don't have any more financial privacy anymore right so obviously bitcoin's not anonymous in any way of course there's tools to help you with that and maybe in the future bitcoin is more anonymous but people are going to be looking for alternatives right Um, so i think right now we're just going through a phase of institutionalization uh regulation and enforcement it started off very broad it's getting you know more precise now we're seeing more guidelines on specific topics such as icos we're seeing a lot more regulations into the otc space which is crucial because if you look at the wording of a lot of these etf uh rulings they're looking for transparency in the otc market right these these uh 
these institutions aren't going to be sourcing coin from the open spot market because they can't do KYC and due diligence checks on who the counterparties are. So they're going to go and trade with uh, large OTC desks because each transaction is KYC, each transaction has chain analytics, everything is tracked, right? So again, the idea mm -hmm. that Bitcoin is anonymous is just a complete falsehood. Like, if you've ever used any type of chain analysis software, it's... <laughs> It's like shining, you know, 10 spotlights on yourself. You can see the complete transaction history from the genesis of that coin. So the more data you have, the more wallet relationships you have, the more uh, insight you have on all of this, right? So, uh, like I said, I think selling your coin here is very foolish uh, because of the people who are entering the space and because of scarcity, right? Even if one country is restricting Bitcoin or restricting cryptocurrencies in general, it doesn't matter. This is happening on a global scale, right? So you're just... Uh, sundering yourself you're putting yourself out of the race it's like i always use the analogy of you know companies governments institutions it's everyone's in uh in the horse stalls straight before the race like who's going to go who's going to go out first who's going to take that first plunge and whoever the first movers are they have a huge advantage right the technology is just faster it's cheaper you know they don't necessarily have to use the underlying asset class i think we're that's why we've seen a lot of surgeons in uh, stable coins which i think are a great invention you know it allows people to counteract sanctions it allows people to move money all over the world without having to use the swift network which is you know just the dominant rule of the U.S. financial system, that's how they control everything, is because all the trans majority of international transfers go through the SWIFT network. Um, but in terms of like where we are in the market right now, like, yeah, we've had an impressive pop-up, right? 25% in one day, it was pretty great. But mm -hmm. we are still under the 6,000 support level that we were sitting on for, you know, better part of a year so i'm not i'm not completely sold that we're in a confirmed bull market just yet i'm looking for the market to either pop up above this level around 59 6200 and uh, if it can hold that turn that support back you know this resistance now back into support what we saw in 2018 i'm going to be feeling a lot more comfortable of calling you know the, the bear market is over uh, we're now entering another multi-year bull market. And, of course, we need to keep in mind that the halving is right around the corner. Uh, I think, I believe it's you know, sometime early in May 2020. And historically, you know, around six months after that, we see over you know, a period of a year, year and a half, a 10x valuation of the asset class. And, again, keeping in mind of uh, the idea of scarcity, uh, I think we're going to see something very similar. I think there's going to be a big rush from institutions to soak up as much of this as possible. And retail traders, you know, they've, they're obviously still pretty butthurt from uh, the fall of 2017 <laughs> and 2018, right? Yeah. And they're going to be the last ones to come back into the market, I think, you know, as, as it always is. And I think we're going to see, human behavior is just, it repeats on cycles. And that's what the charts are. It's just a visualization of human behavior and patterns, right? That's why you see these patterns over and over and over again, right? Obviously, trading is becoming, even in this space, more automated, a lot more algorithms driven by machine learning and things. But an algorithm is just a set of, a set of rules, right? Breathing is an algorithm, right? So, you know, algorithms are every, I think the term just gets really, too much attention it makes you sound smarter than what you really you know what you may really are <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. yeah that so do you could you see us uh you know for the time being then if we don't break that you know 59 to 62 kind of ranging back down to you know that low 3000s do you what say that again my, my first target, you know, to see if we would be ranging uh, would be 4,200, 4,400. So it's the idea of Wyckoff theory, right? Um, mm -hmm. Market breaks out, and then eventually it comes back to retest that form of resistance point. So we had a pretty clear defined range there around 42, 44 for a while. I think we, like, bounced off it crushingly, like, four or five times until it finally, you know, green dildoed up. Um, so ideally, if it doesn't, if it gets rejected where we are around here, you know, 57, 6,000 level, uh, I totally expect us to go back down there and test that. And if that does break, you know, people are looking back on the 2015 fractals and it made new lows after that. And I think that'd be crushing to a lot of people. As a long-term believer in this asset class and having a more color on what's going on, 
on the uh, the back end of things and from institutions. I think it would just be a tremendous buying opportunity. I think we can look at the network, like we can look at the network statistics. Mining is, you know, doing pretty well. Uh, there's obviously a huge squeeze on the little guys, but the big companies like Bitfury, uh, they've really hedged out their businesses, right? Like they've moved a lot into consulting. They've moved a lot into offering chain analytics, other products that, so they're not just completely... Uh, their profit isn't driven just by mining, right? So they can weather those storms. It's really good for them because they can soak up even more market share, right? It drives down the cost of hardware, right? So I, th I think the bear markets are great for building. I personally want to see it continue for you know another six, seven months. Uh, so we continue this building phase because when you once you enter the mania, it's all about customer satisfaction. It's all about making sure the systems that you've built are maintained and continue to stay operational through the heavy volume loads. And you kind of sway, like you move away from, you know, research and development. So like these periods are really healthy for the market, in my, in my opinion, like in the space as a whole. Like we've seen, I think the biggest uh, interesting thing that we've seen is the lending market specifically. So. I think the next big thing that we're going to see is the development of insurance for a lot of these custodial ships and things, and that's going to give even more confidence to uh, institutional investors to get in this space. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, pension funds getting in getting in here. Uh, I think we'll see you know the funds uh, and hedge funds come back into this space again. So it's all just about liquidity, right? And that liquidity is looking for safety nets. I don't want to deposit, you know, a billion dollars on an exchange and then worry that if that exchange goes down, well, I just lost a billion dollars, right? Or the owner dies and has the private keys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Quadriga is a perfect example of that, right? So it's crazy to even, it's just crazy that that even like, was in place. Like I've known the Quadriga CX guys since early, early 2015. And Again, like everyone was surprised that this happened, but these guys were frauds. Like there was, there was back in 2015 to 2016, there was plenty of discussion about these guys' identity and the shady stuff that they'd been involved in, but it just gets forgotten, right? And if you don't have skin in the game, like, you know, some Canadian exchange, this guy's a fraud, well, what a surprise, right? There's plenty of those folks uh, in this space. But then once they're actually affected negatively by something, oh, now we suddenly care, right? So people tend not to change their behavior until something negative happens to them. And Quadriga CX is a perfect example of that. And I, I was honestly surprised that they had $200 million sitting on that exchange. Like was, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Chamber, did you did you hear that? He's known that. So this could put some conspiracies to rest. Are we we're going with we're going with straight up fraud here? Is that what's happening? Well, I mean, like well, I, were, I've I've been on the record. The, the 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 truth that's been put out there is a little difficult to swallow. Yeah, I, I agree. Like you know, some facts don't line up, right? But they have a history of uh, shady behavior. This is the first I'm hearing of the history, though. This is interesting stuff here. This is a real scoop. Well, <laughs> yeah, Block would love it. <laughs> Block would love it. But again, it's all just the publicly available information. It's just archived on Reddit, right? So I always find it interesting how the you know the mainstream media just really sucks at doing due diligence and research in this space. They just go to the supposed experts and ask for their, their opinions and don't necessarily... Maybe they just don't know where to look. You know, well, that's the always... supposed experts. I don't even know anymore. Oh, God. It's not you and I. because no, they're not going to come to us. We're the actual expert, not the supposed expert. Right, right, of course. <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of people just trying to position themselves, and that's a reason why I don't go to conferences or anything like that, because I look at these panels. Wait, you're not going to consensus? No, I'm not. definitely not going to consensus. You know, it's plenty of stories <laughs> of people just getting shilled ICOs while they're, you know, taking a piss in the loo or something, right? Uh, I think the a lot of the times in my experience is going to these things, it's just a lot of speculators, a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. They're just looking to get in, get rich, but they don't actually understand the technology. They don't actually uh, they don't actually care, right? All they care about is the short-term gains, and I think that's pretty universal for a lot of people, just with the short-term thinking, not having the long-term outlook on things, and that's detrimental to being successful in this space, in my experience. Everyone who I know is successful has always had the long-term mindset, looking at the big picture of things. You know, one trade is one trade, but that's not going to make you as a trader. Right. You need you need a consistent a consistent track record that only develops with time, but yeah, I'm just I'm not I've never been a big fan of the uh, 
conference scene. I think the only one that I would attend would probably be the Magical Crypto Conference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we actually just had, it's funny you say that, we just had Ricardo Spagni on the other day, and he was telling us all about it, and their lineup looks pretty awesome, actually. So, yeah, it yeah really it's good. really good. <laughs> like, like they've, but they've brought in people who have a history in crypto in the space. They understand the technology. They've been here through the history of it all. They, they understand the space. It's not just, you know, oh, I'm from Goldman Sachs. You know, listen to me because <laughs> they think that name has value in this in this space. It doesn't, similar to your dollars, right? So, and right. I, yeah, a lot of those guys, they just come in with their old ideologies. Their, all these people are trained from the same space, or the same educational institution. So they have all the same uh, way of thinking, which is very rigid. You know, they're how they value these ICOs, they treat them as companies, but they're not. They're networks, right? So you need to be right. looking at complete different metrics, right? So what what uh you know, you mentioned a really good point there. What metrics, you know, would you use to value something like that versus how they value a company? Yeah, so I think Trace Mayer came out with you know, the seven network effects of Bitcoin and that's yeah, that's something that I look a lot into. So you know, what's what's the network level activity look like? How many transactions are being made, right? Like how many wallet addresses are being created? What's the U.S. dollar value of those transactions that are going through? Obviously, you know, with SegWit and stuff, it uh, compacts the amount of transactions, right? But we're still seeing a steady linear increase on the transaction. Of course, some of that's attributed to very block and stuff. But we're still seeing a nice linear growth on things. So again, I'm looking at the hash rate, right? Like that's a, are people willing to put up the money for to uh, buy miners, pay for the electricity, and actually secure this network, right? Uh, you know, Bitcoin's big proposition is the security benefit of it, right? Like um, a lot of these smaller coins, they're susceptible to 51% attacks for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right, like ETC has seen a couple, but I think the market has shown you, people don't care if these small coins get attacked because there's not much money. People don't have a state a stake in it, right? Um, obviously, it's more difficult and more expensive to 51% attack a larger network, uh, such as Bitcoin or Ethereum. But yeah, like those are the metrics that I'm looking for, uh, and also obviously you know sentiment uh, using Google Analytics, Twitter, and all all that stuff. Uh, that's something that I look social sentiment as well that I look into. So just are people talking about the coin? Are you know? But the big thing is just usage, right? I, I look at a lot of these coins, even in you know the hype in 2017, like Cardano, for example, IOTA, like all these all these fucking coins that were over a billion dollar market cap, which is outrageous, like just gross to think about. Nobody was using them. Like <laughs> you'd have to go through like <laughs> 17 pages on the blockchain to find one transaction. And it's like, this thing's worth fucking $4 billion. It, it's completely irrational, right? And if I was uh, a fund manager, I would be looking to short all this stuff. But it's dangerous, right? Because yeah. all these markets are so correlated to Bitcoin and stuff, right? Like, uh, if Bitcoin goes up, you're, you know, you generally think, okay, well, everything else is going to rise too. Things are looking pretty good. So even if a coin is fundamentally like the shittiest of the shit coin, it's, mm -hmm. still, it's still difficult to short it. Because right, because the rising market. tide r raises all ships, right? Exactly. <laughs> Even if those ships deserve to be left at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, one question, one more question, then we'll move on to something fun and wrap up here. So, can you know, in your opinion, can some of those metrics, you know, as such as usage and things like that, uh, transactions, can some of that be faked? Um, you know, I have. Sure. You know, I think of EOS, what that comes to mind where they, um, you know, they have all this supposed transactions and volume. Um, yeah, however, Tron is another one I hear of too. Yeah, and then it comes out, but then there's something that came out that said that, you know, maybe half of those haven't were fake volume or just push volume or, you know what I mean? So uh, how, how do you value that or how do you even know what to look for there? Well, I'm not just looking for one metric, you know, as the holy grail. I'm looking for all of them put together, right? So another network effect that I didn't mention is the developer network effect, which I think is probably one of the most important ones. And the reason why is because there's such a limited amount of people that actually have a very deep understanding of this technology and are actually able to, you know, code things and build things. If you, for example, take like ICOs, if you have, you know, 12 ICOs all claiming to do the same thing. 
I know for a fact that there's not, you know, a hundred a hundred people that understand this well enough. So I know, well, the odds are, you know, the majority of these projects aren't going to be able to deliver. So like, look, another good metric would be looking at the GitHub, looking at how active the team is with commits and things. And a lot of these projects, you go and look at them and there's, you know, there hasn't been a commit in like the past six or seven months. Yet, you know, the, the hype PR machine is going going crazy, right? Uh, I think looking at the metrics, especially with ICOs, how much are they investing of the of their raises into development versus or just legal or marketing, right? The bigger, you know, the bigger the party, the bigger the scam, right? I think that's like what Mark Cuban had thrown out there as some words of advice. <laughs> and it's definitely true in cryptocurrency. So it's not just looking at the one network metric, it's taking them all and just seeing a trend uh, between all of them. Obviously, you know, like I said very block earlier, it inflates the amount of transactions that, that appear on the chain, right? But, you know, they account for, I think it was like 25 or like 30% when they were doing their run-up a couple months ago. But there's, again, you just take all these metrics together and it's going to give you a lot uh, more insight and a better picture into are people yeah. actually using this or not so yeah you know metrics can be faked right but you can't fake them all and uh the developer and the commits on the github it's all transparent right like that's what's so great about this space you just have mm-hmm. to go do the research you just have to go look and like that's one of the great quotes from uh, the big short we did something that other people didn't do we looked right and mm-hmm. i think that's what a lot of people don't do in this space they just buy into the sure. hype of, they just buy into the hype of something so just you know being due diligent one of the great uh sayings in bitcoin is verified don't trust and you know just live by that right all of this is the blockchain is completely transparent it's a public ledger there's nothing to hide right so just get out there and do your due diligence like it's it's financially in your uh in your benefit chamber are you doing your due diligence out there uh, no, no, no. I have people on, and they tell me what to do, and I just do that. <laughs> well, that's the power of, in- that's the power of an influencer-based uh, society, right? Like, I, I saw this documentary, an article, where people, little kid, like kids were asked, what do they want to be when they grow up? A lot of them responded, YouTuber, Instagram influencers, right? And that's like, crazy. Yeah. From yeah. a marketing perspective, we've moved away from a persuasion base, so companies aren't looking to persuade you to use to buy their products. They're leveraging trust that you have with other people, and that's that was that that was the rise of the influencer-based marketing. Chamber, do you trust me? Trust you? Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. I got a bridge that I really think is a great investment for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you know, just send over ten thousand dollars, and I'll get you. Uh, you know, a, a, it's actually a bridge security token. Uh, it's you right. Can... O- I'm sending it right over. Hang on. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Chamber. We we going we we going elsewhere here I right now. So. Are we going to do this? I think so. I think it'll be. This fun. is going to be the worst draft of all time. <laughs> all right. I'll let you explain what we're going to do here. So, so. Um, we like to do a little bit of research on our guests, so I'll creep your, you know, your Twitter, your Instagram, to get some sort of idea what you like to do for fun. And I gotta tell you that you are one of the one of the most committed people to crypto that I've ever seen, uh, <laughs> because I, uh, there was there was very little, uh, you know, wavering for you on any of the social media that I could find. Yeah, but I- uh, you did mention. Um, you know, I, I, I messaged you and you'd mentioned you like hiking and, and politics. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, <laughs> politics is pretty, you know, a bunch of and I were talking before the show. We're like, well, politics is pretty, it's pretty, it's a hot button item. Uh, yes. But what if we uh, did something a little bit different? What if we drafted uh, our favorite U.S. presidents? All right. So the way this works is... Uh, we we do this all the time with different things. We've done superheroes. We've done uh, I don't know barbecue foods. We've done all kinds of stuff here. So the way it's going to work is like fantasy football style snake draft. So we're going to have you go first. We'll draft four U.S. presidents. Four U.S. presidents. I, we'll I, do four. Can I put this in as a rule too? We cannot. Uh, we are not allowed. So both Nick and I, uh, uh, you know, do not reside in the U.S. Um, I think we should uh, eliminate any sort of Googling of U.S. presidents, so it's only what you know off the top of your head. Can oh, we, geez. Okay. Well, that's that? fine. 
I, I can name four. I can definitely name four now. The trick is, can we name 12 individually between the three of us? All right, all right. Okay, that's a good rule. All right, so uh, Nick, you're going to go first. So you'll have the first pick, and then it'll go uh, Chamber, and then myself, and then I'll go twice, and then back down the line until we have four. Okay, sounds good. So Roosevelt. Uh, that's, a, that's a popular one. I figured that would Which go. Which one? Um, there were multiple. <laughs> not there was two U.S. presidents. <laughs> there, there were two. Teddy. I mean, Teddy you've got, Teddy, yeah, you've got to be talking about Teddy, I would think, right? I hope so. <laughs> well, the other one is the other one's Franklin. So, I was say Freddy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Freddie or Teddy. <laughs> All right, so so you've got. Wait, which one did you say? You said Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah, he went Teddy. He went the uh, adventurer, okay. not it, the okay. polio. Okay, you're up, Chamber. Um, I'm going to go. That's fun. We should. Ha- I'm trying to figure out which way I'm going to go with this uh, because there's so many trolly things I could do. Uh, I'm going. I'm going. You go. You go full troll. Vote. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go. Um, let's go Ronald Reagan. With the number two. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. I'm going to go. I mean, I'm going just, you know, classic. (laughs) I will go with what I would think would be everybody's first choice. If you were just saying presidents off the top of your head, I will go George Washington. Classic. And I get to make yeah, my second twice, pick yeah, yeah. as well. I mean, I'm just going to stack these two. It's a, <laughs> it's a good stack. I'm going to go George Washington, number one. I will go Abe Lincoln, number two. Okay, <sighs> so with my second pick. You're going to pick uh, Ben Franklin, who uh, wasn't a president. No, no. I watched, I actually, <laughs> it's funny you say this, because uh, I just finished watching uh, John Adams, uh, the HBO uh, you know, miniseries. Yep. Uh, it was re- really good. Highly recommend. Uh, turns out George Washington was way taller than you anticipated. Uh, I, I yeah. would imagine he's probably pretty tall. Is yeah, I, I, you? I wasn't anticipating tall, but uh, he was. Uh, Is he taller than you? I think like maybe the same height, maybe like kind of like that 6'3", six, 6'4", six, range. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but uh, no, that's not who I'm going with. I'm not going John Adams. I am going to go... Um, Ronald Reagan. I'm, then I'm going to follow it up with uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I knew that wasn't going to get back to me. Yeah. All right. Nick, you got two picks here. I'm probably going to go with George Bush Sr., early 90s. Whoa. We, yeah, the greatest president ever, Donald J. Trump. <laughs> I was going to pick him for my last pick if he was still hanging around. All right, so well, I guess what is Nick's on. team so far? So Nick's got... Teddy Roosevelt, yes. George Bush Sr., and Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. Wow, this is going to be a power vote. So what we do here, Nick, is we put these out on Twitter and have the people vote on who picks the best draft. So you're, you're looking at a power lineup right there. Uh, all right, Chamber, your third pick. So I have, uh, what do I have? So I got Ronald Reagan. I got JFK. I'm Ronald going on the other side of the troll spectrum. I'll go uh, Barack Hussein Obama. I knew you were going to do that. I was going to go Trump. (laughs) I knew you were going to do that. All right. Um, Dang. So I'm finishing out my draft here. Yeah, you get two again. Okay. Um, Let's see here. I'm going to go with... uh, All right. So it doesn't matter what order I pick them because I have both picks. So I'm actually distantly related to this U.S. president. Interesting. Uh, In fact, my grandfather on my mother's side shares the same first name as this president. Uh, I'm going with Grover Cleveland. One of the (laughs) less. Yes. Right. And but I am and I am only picking him because he is a distant, distant relative. So uh, I have presidential blood chamber you know no big deal for the deal that's right um i'm a a legacy um (laughs) let's see and then finally oh man this is hard now i don't know who to pick oh damn let's go with man it'd be hard to fuck this draft up going going washington and lincoln one two but i'm about to do it (laughs) (laughs) oh my dear (laughs) yeah right exactly let's go with 
Damn, I don't even know who to pick. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go with William Howard Taft. Taft. Oh, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Taft. because he's you know kind of a jolly fellow. I like it. <laughs> he's, Great mustache. He of Andre the Giant. Yep. All right. Um, my last okay. one. Uh, I got. It's gonna have to be Richard Nixon. You know, went out with a with a oh, bang. Tra- uh, Chamber was your pick, though. I know, Were you going to pick okay. Richard we'll, Nixon? We'll, no, that's all right. We'll give Tricky Dick to, uh, to Nick. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to go with my last one. Ooh, I have. <laughs> I feel like mine's not awful. One second. Uh, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go uh, with my favorite Simpsons character, uh, Clinton. Uh, Bill. <laughs> I don't know what Bill's middle name is. Uh, Chambers got all the Democrats. I got Ronald Reagan too, the ultimate uh, the Republican. Yes, but are you the only? I think you might be the only one that actually picked a Democrat. I don't right? know. Yeah, I have no idea what uh, Taft. Wait, Lincoln what was Taft? Hold on. I don't know what Taft was. Well, I George Washington wasn't anything. Correct. Um, Abraham Lincoln, I'm pretty sure was he was a Republican. A Republican yeah. Um, what did I pick? Taft. Taft was and a Grover Republican. Cleveland. And Grover. I don't know what Grover Cleveland was. I should know that. He's my family. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, all right. So you picked, who was your last pick? Uh, Bill Clinton. Okay. And then Tricky Dick goes to Nick. That's yes. right. Wow. All right. Do you have the final cat tallies here? Yeah, I got it here. So I got Nick coming in with uh, Teddy Roosevelt, George Bush Sr., uh, Donald Julian Trump. I don't know his middle name. Uh, <laughs> Demetrius. Demetrius. <laughs> uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, that's Nick's team. My team is Ronald Reagan, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and uh, you have uh, George Washington. Uh, you have Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, Grover Cleveland, and what's a uh, Taft's Taft. first name? John? Uh, I don't know. William, William Howard Taft. William Howard Taft. Yeah. <laughs> what a draft. Classic draft. <laughs> We're going to put these out and see who the people vote for. Uh, but that was our presidential draft. We are experts on cryptocurrency and politics, Can we put the presidential music? If I can find that, I will put it in. But <laughs> anyway, you can have that. <laughs> that's going to do it for us. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. We hope you had a good time. Uh, that was awesome conversation, awesome insight. Um, we want to just give you a chance to, you know, plug yourself. Where, pe- where can people find you? Um, anything you're working on that you want people to know about? Yeah, you can find me on my Twitter at MBTCPizPie. Uh, most of the time, I spend my, my days and my hours working with Redacted Capital. It's an OTC brokerage and clearinghouse. Offer Bitcoin liquidity, alts, SaaS, etc. And uh, getting our mining and infrastructure company off the ground called Square Mining. Um, yeah, it's, bas- it's basically what I spend my time on 24-7. Like you said, you didn't find much of anything else other than crypto. Uh, what I do with my life. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I said I would, yeah. when I got in, like I said, I, I would give 10 years of my life to this. And, you know, or seven years in, it's looking pretty good. You're going to watch yeah. so much Game of Thrones in a couple of years? <laughs> oh, yeah. Got a lot of binge watching to do. Do you, uh, so what, what, once 10 years hits, uh, are you going to re-up that contract or what? <laughs> the, the way things are looking, probably, but my goal is to just retire uh, when I'm 35 so I can uh, go de-stress. And obviously, <laughs> Someone's going to get married DeLorean so I can do that. <laughs> Man, I need, to, I need to get on that level. I'm three years away from that. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to go back to 2017. <laughs> you'll, you'll hit another halving cycle. You know, I think people just need to understand, you know, Bitcoin moves in cycles. You know, four years is the magic number. So, you know, in coming into that, coming into the space with a four-year outlook or, you know, from 20 to 2024, yeah, that's what I would recommend to people. Just don't be short-sighted. You know, look at the bigger picture. One of the big value propositions of Bitcoin is that its monetary policy is completely transparent. I know what it's going to be doing in four years. I know what it's going to be doing in eight years, right? And the next halving is very important because we're moving to 2% inflation schedule, which puts us in lines with the ideal growth of an economy, as says the central banks. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, next decade here. 
That's a really interesting perspective, and I think it's uh, correct, and I think it's a good way to look at it. Um, so take that advice. We don't give financial advice. We give hashtag financial advice. Um, so, but, <laughs> but take that as you will. Uh, what was our hashtag today? Uh, the hashtag is hashtag big dick fiat rollers. That's hashtag <laughs> big dick fiat, fiat rollers. Roller. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, chamber, anything else you want to add? No, check out our new and improved, uh, website. Cynthia, uh, spent a bunch of time, uh, improving it. It's pretty awesome. Um, I was going to throw away all of our money to pay somebody to do it, and it turns out Cynthia's <laughs> a genius. Yeah, I, talked to you, I tried to talk you out of that, and then <laughs> Cynthia actually came through with the up to upgrades. Um, but awesome. Also, thank you to anybody who has supported us by buying some uh, T-shirts. You guys are awesome. Yeah, no, thank, um, yeah uh, Invest Noir and Got Mine, I know the two off the top of my head, and my mommy. Thanks, mommy, for buying oh, a T-shirt. <laughs> That's what your family's getting for fucking Christmas. Right. <laughs> it's just a bunch of wrecked podcast gear. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyway, that's it. Thank you again, Nick. We appreciate it. Um, Thanks, guys. Everybody go follow Nick on Twitter. And until next time, don't get wrecked. And that is financial advice.